I'm sorry you just sat down, so would you please stand back up and let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Now, one of the things that's very, very important for all of us tonight is, as I said, uh, and I say all the time, people get tired of hearing me say this at our church, uh, I assure you tonight, you can never fail if you don't quit. So what we have to do is get ourselves in a position where we will just continue on and on and on and on and on. Uh, 27 years ago, when I became the pastor of Liberty Baptist Church, we had a Sunday school teacher that had already been a Sunday school teacher for 11 years when I got there. She has now been a Sunday school for 38 years. She's been teaching the same class, uh, our uh, uh, kindergarten class, for the last 38 years. Why does somebody do that? How is it that uh, our church will be 49 years old in May, and I still have three families in our church that's been there for 49 years, faithfully serving God? Can I just tell you that's not an accident? People intend to do that. And that's exactly what God wants you to do. Second Corinthians chapter 5, here's what God said. Verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from, a, from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that, you know, God wants you to know some things, and this is one of them. He said, knowing that, while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. While you're here in this body, you're absent from the Lord. We understand that? God's not going to come talk to you in this body in a physical kind of way. So as long as you're here, you're absent from the, body, from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight, while we're here. You got that? All right, now, verse number 8. We are confident, I say, and willing, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. There's also going to come a time when we're going to be absent from this body. And the moment we become absent from this body, if you're a believer, God said we fall asleep and we wake up in heaven and we're absent from the body. We're in the presence of the Lord. So there's two pictures he wants you to get here. One, while you're in this body, we walk by faith and not by sight. But once we pass out of this body, our soul and our spirit will leave this body and we'll immediately go be in the presence of the Lord. You got that? All right, now, I know you understand that. Now look at verse 9. And this is what I want to talk to you about. Wherefore. Now, anytime you see the word wherefore, therefore in the Bible, you've got to stop and see why it's there. What is there for? And what he's doing every time is connecting what he just said with what he's about to say. Or explaining what he just said. Y'all looking at me funny. I know you've heard that before. All right. Wherefore, we labor. Now, here's why we do what we do. Here's our motivation. I'm telling you, men... And women make millions and millions of dollars going around the country. Motivate people. God's people need to have the same motivation, but the biblical motivation. He said, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest uh, in your conscience. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then were all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them, and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth we uh, know him uh, no, we know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things pass away. Uh, behold, all things are become new. And a lot of people quit right there. But verse 18 is just as important as verse 17. He said, all and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And hath given to us the ministry of of reconciliation. Would you pray with me? Lord, we sure do love you tonight. And what a joy it's been to be here all week with these wonderful people. Uh, you have just knitted our hearts together. Uh, we've grown to love them and thank you for them and their uh, desire to serve you. I pray that tonight you'd help us have the motivation that it's going to take for us to uh, be acceptable to you, whether we're on the earth or in your presence. And Lord, we want to understand tonight what it means to work on the earth for eternal things, that whether we're on the earth or in your presence, the same thing that would be a blessing to you as we're on the earth will be a blessing to you in heaven. And so I pray that you'd help me to preach this message tonight with an understanding that these folks could get what this passage of Scripture is all about, and they could apply this to their own lives, and they could have the motivation and the desire to serve you with all their heart for the rest of their life. There'd never be a quitting place. There'd never be a time when they'd give up. They would never get mad at the preacher and go off somewhere else. Uh, they'd never just quit because things didn't go to suit them. I pray, God, you'd help us get our hearts and our minds on the right things so we will never quit. God, help us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, our desire is that we're going to labor. That, now, for all of you that don't like that word, that means Work. I'm telling you, we live in a world where that is a dirty word in a lot of people's vocabulary. Uh, I have a lady in my church that was the district manager for Brahms ice cream uh, stores uh, in the whole Dallas area. And uh, she would hire young people. And she told me, uh, I don't care, know how many times she'd come preacher, pray with me. I can't find one young person that wants to work. It finally got her to the place where she just quit and said, I'm not doing this anymore. Now, I'm telling you right now, God expects His people to work. But we need to labor wisely. And we need to labor with the right uh, motivation. So what we're going to labor is this. Whether we're present or absent. Whether we're in this flesh or out of this flesh. Whether we're working on the earth or we already make it to heaven. What we do on the earth will be pleasing to God in heaven. You get it? 
In other words, we're going to spend our time working on eternal things with eternal motivation. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible talks about the crowns that we're going to win when we stand before the Lord. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But I want you to know the main issue is how and why did you do what you did? I'm telling you, why you do what you do is as important as what you do. Did that come out right? Okay. You have to understand that God is very, very interested in why I do what I do. And if I'm going to uh, be accepted by God, whether I'm in the body or in heaven, then I'm going to have to do it with the motivation that God gives us. He gives us four things in this passage of Scripture that ought to be the motivation that keeps us from quitting. The things that God teaches us in this passage of Scripture is the the things that would help you never, ever quit. And if God let me live long enough, I come back here 30 years from now, you're still sitting right there. And you're still serving the same God with the same enthusiasm and the same joy that you're doing it with today. I'm telling you, this is a happy church. You ought to praise God for that. This is a church that loves God. Uh, This is a church uh, that is doing what God told them to do. And don't you ever let anybody intimidate you because you don't run 500. Who cares? I promise you, when you get to heaven, the first thing God's going to ask you is not how many you had in Sunday school. Come on, say amen. It's very important that we realize what God's looking for. So there's four things I want to share with you tonight. It ought to be the motivation uh, that would cause us to stay where God put us. I want you to look first in verse 14. Now I'm, going to take, I'm not going to take these in order. I'm going to put them in the order I want to preach them in. I get to do that because I'm doing it. <laughs> so this is not in any particular order that of uh, importance. But look at verse 14. He said, for the love of Christ constraineth us. That word constrain means uh, motivates us, causes us to do what we do. He said, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. God said, let me tell you what really ought to motivate you to keep on keeping on and never stop that you love the Lord. I'm telling you, I'm getting so tired of hearing people say how much they love the Lord and don't even come to his house. They say how much they love the Lord and never give a penny. They love the Lord and never tell anybody about Jesus, never read their Bible, never memorize the Scripture. I said, who and what is your definition of love? Amen. God said, I want you to love me. He first loved you, and therefore, because He loved you, He saved you, and He wants you now to love Him. This is the motivation. I'm telling you right now, if you serve God because you love Him, you're not ever going to quit unless you stop loving Him. Amen. I'm telling you, that's why we do what we do. It's because we love the Lord. I, I, I get an uh, unfortunate opportunity uh, to counsel with couples from time to time. I don't like it. Because here's what I really want to tell a couple that's having problems. See this book? Do it. Solve all your problems. But I'm, I'm nicer than that, so I don't do that. But here's what I do. I do the same thing every time. I bring this couple into my office and I set the lady on the left side and the man on the right side. And I say, now listen, I do not want you to say anything. I'm talking to the man. And I look right in her face. And I say, do you believe your husband loves you? And you know what I get? The answer I get every time. It's no preacher. I don't think he does. And the husband, I get the same reaction every time he goes... Now, how could a wife not believe his, wife, his husband, her husband loves her and him not know it? I'll tell you why. Same reason a lot of people think they love Jesus and they don't. Because you're not looking at the results. Now, my wife, bless her heart, puts up with a lot for me. I'm crazy and she knows it. And 
We've been doing things together a long, long time. But every once in a while, for no reason, no apparent reason, I didn't do anything wrong particularly, I just bring her some flowers. I just stop by the florist and bring her a dozen roses. Matter of fact, I, I had this great need to do it. I did it twice in one week just a short time ago. The ones didn't last long enough, so I brought some more. And you know why I do that? Because one of these days, if we're sitting in a preacher's office and he looks at her and said, you believe your husband loves you, I want her to say, yes, yes, he does. He loves me. Because I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't matter how much the husband loves a wife. If the wife don't know that, it doesn't do any good. Amen. It's of no profit to the home if the husband doesn't make his love real to his wife. It doesn't do any good for the children if the parents don't make their love for the children real. It has to be something that can be identified. It has to be something that you can see. It has to be something to make that person that you love know that they're a love. Don't you think Jesus deserves the same thing? Don't you think the world ought to be able to see what you do for Jesus and say, Wow, he really loves God. She really loves the Lord. She really cares about that church. She really loves her preacher. She really prays for these things. Can I just tell you how important it is for us to love Christ as the motivation to do what we're supposed to do? If we love him, then he and everybody around us ought to know. I don't even remember where we was. My wife and I was together somewhere, kind of like we are in this meeting. And I had one of the ladies I was eavesdropping. You find out a lot that way. All right, y'all get that? <laughs> I heard this lady say, y'all are just the best couple. We can really see you love each other. I said, yes. That's what I'm trying to accomplish here. You know, Jesus commanded me to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Come on. And I know sometimes preachers like to come in and beat you ladies to death about submitting. Amen. And all ladies love that passage of Scripture. Submit yourself to your own husband. It's in there. And you ought to do it. But let me tell you this. Here's my firm belief. I believe if the husband loves his wife like he's supposed to, that submitting stuff won't be a problem at all. Because women love better than men. That's the truth. And if I love my wife like I'm supposed to, you think there's going to be any problems with me coming to my wife and say, Honey, would you do this? She's going to say, Of course. Do you not realize that that's the same kind of response and the same kind of relationship we're supposed to have with the Lord? We just love Him. Is there anything that you won't do? And you know one of the things that God's done in my life I'm so excited about is that God's let me love my wife so much that I do things with her and for her that I don't want to do. Come on, say amen. That's what love does. My wife, we hadn't done it in a while because we've been out of town, but my wife likes to go to garage sales. Y'all know what those are? I hate garage sales. It's so dumb. If somebody else don't want it, tell me why I want it. Why would I go into their garage full of junk and buy more junk? I've got plenty of junk. But when my children were little, my wife and I, I was been very busy, and she's been a very, very understanding person. I go a lot. I preach a lot. I'm out late. I stay gone all the time uh, doing the work of the ministry. And I told my wife, I said, honey, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you every Saturday morning 
and we're going to just go do things together. That's your time. Me and you, we're going to go do whatever you want to do. Uh, and if you'll uh, allow me to show my love and express my love on Saturday morning and then leave me alone of all the hours I put in all the other times, we're going to just have a wonderful time. And so we've been doing this now for a long, long time. Now, Saturday mornings, we get up on Saturday morning. I said, okay, babe, what are we going to do today? Well, we always go to breakfast. She likes to eat in the restaurant, breakfast. So we go to breakfast, and then she'll say, let's go garage selling. <laughs> now, let me tell you what I'd really like to say. I'm not doing that. But then she'd say, remember what you promised. So I just leave that whole conversation out and say, yes, ma'am, and we go. And here we go. We pull up in her brand-new car, which, in my opinion, is the dumbest thing ever. And we pull up in these people's garage driveway. And in Texas, they usually have back entry garages. And you pull around in the alley and you pull up in their driveway. And they got all this junk out there. And my wife will go out on a table. And it'll have all of these clothes on it that are used. And she said, I'm going to find my grandbaby something in this pile of clothes. And I'm standing there going, honey, if we can't afford to buy it at Dillard's, let's just don't do it. Why do I want my grandchild to wear somebody else's clothes? And she'll say, I don't, I, you just don't get this, do you? I said, no, I have to say I don't get this. And so we'll, she'll rummage around this and she'll mess around and mess around. And then she'll finally find something. And I'm thinking, praise God, we can get out of here. She found something. And then she'll hold it up and the lady will want $1 for it. And she'll say to the lady, uh, would you take 50 cents? <laughs> and I say, I've got a dollar, honey. Come on, just pay it. Let's get out of here. And she'll again look at me, you don't get this, do you? Now, I have to say, I don't. If they waited on me to buy something at a garage sale, they'd all be out of luck. Because I'm just not going to do it. But you know why I do that? Because I love this lady. And if she wants to go to a garage sale, off to the garage sale we go. And I try my best not to complain. I don't always accomplish that. But I try, because this is her time. And she's been so patient with me all through the week while I've been out talking to everybody else's children and I've been out ministering to everybody else and working so hard in the lives of other people. And she's been very patient. So I say, I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to be patient with her and just do whatever she wants. Let me just tell you this. I think, don't answer this, but I think <laughs> if you ask my wife, does your husband love you? She would say yes. I'm not even looking at her see if she really does. But you know what? I've done everything in my power to make my wife know how much I love her. She is the most important person in the whole world to me. And I want her to know that. Don't you think Jesus deserves the same? Now, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So don't live like the devil and come up here and sing, oh, how I love Jesus. Don't act like you don't know what God wants you to do. Don't act like you uh, can go live any way you want and still love the Lord. I'm telling you, the love of Christ is going to motivate me to do what God wants, do it how God wants, and keep me doing it the way God said. And my love for Jesus Christ is just going to keep me going. I'm not quitting if I love Him. Come on. Now, let me just tell you this. Your preacher, if you stay here long enough, is going to make you mad. That's the way it works, guys. I'm sorry. I wish it wasn't like that. I, I, I want everybody to like me. But you know, sometimes when they walk out the back door, I know I've, I, I've pushed their button that day. You know, you know how you can tell now? Here, let me tell you how to fool your preacher if you want to. Every time somebody goes by, and I make them shake my hand whether they like it or not. Now listen. 
when they shake my hand like this, I know they're not happy. So I say, is everything okay? <laughs> Sometimes they'll look at me and say, it will be. And they'll go. <laughs> now let me just tell you this. If the preacher upsets you, are you serving the preacher? Did the Bible tell you that you serve the Lord because you love the preacher? Now, I want you to love the preacher. He's a pretty lovable dude. But is that really why we're doing what we're doing? So no matter what happens at church, no matter whether people speak to you or are friendly, no matter if it works out like you think it should, it doesn't matter. I love Jesus. And I'm just going to keep right on serving him no matter what. I don't understand why somebody get mad at somebody in the church and quit serving Jesus. What did Jesus do to you? Amen, preacher. I'm just getting started. This is going to be a good one before we're through. Look at number two. Not only are we supposed to be motivated because we love the Lord, number two is found in verse number 10. It said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone, how many? Everyone. Does that mean you? Yeah, that means you. Everyone, everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Every one of us is going to stand before the Lord one of these days and we're going to give an account for what we've done, whether it be good or bad. Now, let me just share this with you tonight. He's not talking about whether it's sinful or not sinful. The people that are not saved are not going to be at the Bema Seat Judgment. They're going to be at the Great White Throne Judgment at the end. But all of us that know Christ, we're going to stand before the Lord sometime during the tribulation period and we're going to give an account for what we've done in this body, whether it's profitable or not profitable. Now, listen, this is not the time when believers are going to give an account for their sin and I'm going to tell you why when you got saved Jesus Christ put all of your sin under his blood put it in the deepest sea never to remember it anymore so there's no record of your sin past present or future no record you ought to say amen about that that ought to just make you wave your handkerchief there is no record of your sin because it's all under the blood Praise God for the blood of Jesus Christ. So when you stand before the great, uh, for the Bema Seat judgment of Jesus Christ, it is not a matter of what you sinned or didn't sin. It's a matter of what you did and why you did it. And God's going to let you receive or lose rewards. You're going to get crowns, the Bible calls them. And I've had people say, Preacher, what do you think those crowns look like? I don't know. I don't know what they look like. Are they going to be crowns like you said on your head? I don't know. Furthermore, I don't care. I just want a dump truck full of them. Amen. Amen. I want Jesus Christ to say to me, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Here's this crown and this crown and this crown. And I'd like to just back my truck up and let him fill it up. Wouldn't you? That ought to motivate you. Do you realize one of these days Jesus Christ is going to look you face to face and you're going to give an account for what you've done uh, with your money, what you've done with your time, what you've done with your talent, and not just what you've done, but why you did it. Amen. It's going to be an exciting time. There's five crowns mentioned in the Word of God, and I don't have time to give them all to you. But God said there's five things that He mentions, and I'm sure there's more, uh, that He is going to give us reward for. And so you get these crowns. But don't get too excited. When we get to heaven, you're not going to put them on the wall of your mansion and invite all your friends over to look at them. Are you with me? Revelation chapter 4 tells you what you're going to do with those crowns. 
you're going to lay them at the feet of Jesus. Amen. And our desire to thank Him for what He's done. And so how many ever crowns we get for serving Him, whatever God gives us for serving Him, we're going to get to take them and lay them at His feet. And we're going to tell Him we love Him. And I'm telling you, I don't think you want to go to that party empty-handed. I've had people say, well, as long as we get there. Well, I agree getting there is better than not. I'm going to talk about not in just a minute. But I don't think you want to go there empty-handed. <laughs> Do you? Do you really want to stand around and watch everybody else play crowns at their feet and say, Jesus, I love you, and I did this for you because I love you, and I love you, and I love you, and you're standing there going, I didn't do anything. Not going to be a good time. That ought to motivate you. That motivated Paul. Paul was excited about what God was going to do at the end. You know, people say, well, you know, you're just working for Jesus for a pie in the sky by and by. And I say, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Because I'm going to have a pie in the sky and it's going to be cherry and it's going to have whipped cream on the top. And nobody's going to care if it has sugar in it. Amen. You see, God said, we're all going to appear there. There's nobody going to miss this party. Everybody's going to be there, including you. Now, you know, when you look at the, the way Jesus did this, the Bible says he gave one man five talents, one man two talents, and one man one talent. You with me? You know the story? And the five-talent guy got five more talents. And when Jesus came back, or when the master came back, it's a parable about Christ, of course, and he said to the man that made five more, crown, five more talents, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over me. I say, yes. Now catch this. The guy that had two crowns gained two more. He didn't gain five more. He just gained two more. And Jesus said the exact same thing to him. The exact same thing. Why would he say the same thing to the two-talent guys he said to the five-talent guy? Because Jesus is the one passing out talents, and all he wants you to do is use what he gives you. Amen. I'm telling you right now, God's not going to compare me as a preacher to any other preacher in the world. All I have to do is be faithful over what he gave me. And that's true of you as well. And the one talent guy came and said, Lord, I knew you was an austere man, and you gathered where you did not sow, and so I hid your talent in the, girt, in, the, in the ground, and here's your talent. You know what Jesus said to him? You're a slothful and wicked servant. Now, what do you suppose? Now, just with your mind, think with me. What would Jesus have said to him if the one talent guy had got one more talent? If he had used his talent to get one more talent, what do you suppose Jesus would have said to him? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. I guarantee you that's what he would have said. Because it's not about how many talents or how many abilities you've got. It's what you do with what you have. That's what makes the difference. I, and I'm so glad God makes it that way. I don't have to look at another preacher and say, well, I can't do what he does. I'm telling you, I don't have to look at my son. You know, sometimes preachers like my son just make me so mad. If he wasn't my son, I'd probably just hit him. I mean, this kid can preach. He's got a great education. He can sing like crazy. He is a people kind of person. I'm telling you, the kid traveled uh, with a gospel quartet and sang high tenor for him for years. I mean, this kid can sing and he can preach. And he does both of them at the same time. He gets to an illustration and instead of telling a story, he sings to them. That's why I slap him. That's just not fair. 
But I'm glad I don't have to compare myself to him. I, only thing I know how to do is preach. That's it. So what do you do? I preach everywhere I can, every night, every place that God will let me. I just do what God told me to do. I've got, I'm a one-talent dude, and that's all I know how to do, so that's what I do. Amen. Amen. And that's what God wants you to do. Because you are going to give an account one day. Now look at number three. I've got to go on or we're going to be here all night. Number three is found in verse number 11. He said, Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Let me tell you why we ought to be motivated to serve God. Because people are dying and going to hell. Did you hear me? Now, God is no respecter of persons, is He? He's no respecter of persons with salvation, and He's no respecter of persons with the terror of the Lord. Now, let me tell you what that means. If it's your mom or my mom, your dad or my dad, your children or my children, whoever it is, if they're not born again, they will go to hell. I don't want them to. You don't want them to. But that's what God said. And so what is that supposed to do for me? Oh, God, you're so mean. Why would you send these people to hell? No, that's not what God wants you to get out of it. He wants you to get out of it. Go, go, go. Tell them before it's too late. That's what he wants you to get out of this. This is supposed to motivate you to go and tell everybody that you can about Jesus Christ. If it's your neighbor, if it's your relatives, if it's your friends, I'm telling you, don't back away from tell them about Jesus. They've got an eternity to face. And where they face it is going to depend on what is done with Jesus Christ. Do we not believe except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God? Do we not believe if they're not saved, they're going to go to a devil's hell? Do we not believe Luke 16, when the rich man died and woke up in hell and in torment? Do we not believe that? Yes, we do believe that. But I'm telling you, we don't act like we believe it. We don't live like we believe it. We act like it doesn't matter. I have no idea what the statistics are of how many people die every week in New York City. But I promise you it's a bunch. I cannot tell you how many people die in America, but it's a bunch. My question to you is, I wonder how many of them know Christ. How many of the people do you suppose that die in New York tomorrow are going to know Christ? Doesn't that do something to your heart? Don't you care whether people are saved or not? And I've had people say to me, you know, preacher, I just don't believe God would send anybody to hell. He's just such a loving God. I don't think you understand the program. Now, you, you think with me for a moment. Now, most of you know that Texas has a real uh, reputation of carrying through with the death penalty. And we do, by the way. And uh, I went to the place where they actually do this. And I thought to myself, my son, when he was a, a young person about Philip's age, he, he wanted to go everywhere with his daddy. I meant Everywhere. If I got in the pickup truck to go somewhere, he wanted to go with me. Now, I want you to think with me for just a moment. Let's just assume that preacher took his boy, put him in his vehicle, and took him to the place where they were going to execute somebody. And that person deserved to be executed. He was guilty. Because people are guilty, you know. And so we, we go and we talk to this person, and we have so much compassion with him. So preacher takes Philip. And says, I, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my son and I'm going to place him in this electric chair. And I'm going to tie him down. I'm going to put this thong on his head. And I'm going to go over there and I'm going to look at him. 
and I'm going to look at his tears and I'm going to look at his sadness and I'm going to see Philip saying, Lord, Daddy, what are you doing? Why are we here? And preacher's going to pull the lever and take his son's life. And then you go over to the criminal that's supposed to die today and you say to him, I got good news for you. You don't have to die. My son Philip died in your place. And he says, I hate you. Get out of here. I don't believe that. What would you think preacher would feel? Do you not know that's exactly what God did? He not only sent his son to die, he executed him himself. Did you hear me? And then people say, I don't want that, Jesus. I don't believe in that stuff. I don't think I'm a sinner. I don't think. You can be assured of one thing. The book of Hebrews calls it like this. He said, what do you suppose somebody would deserve that would stomp underfoot the grace of God? You know, when somebody rejects Jesus Christ, that's exactly what they're doing. They're stomping on the grace of Jesus Christ. You can be assured of one thing. He will put them in hell. So what are we going to do? We're going to tell them. Help them turn. Let them know how wonderful our God is. You see, folks, that ought to motivate us. That ought not make us mad because God's going to have justice. Aren't you glad we have a just God? That ought not make us mad. It ought to motivate us to tell more people and get more people. Oh, I've had people say, Preacher, you really, do you really think that all of these people in these foreign countries that's never even heard the name of Jesus is going to die and go to hell? If I didn't think that, I sure wouldn't waste my money on missions. Are you hearing me? Let them stay ignorant if that's what it is. But that's not the way it works. Do you realize two times in the history of mankind every person on the earth was a Christian? Adam and Eve and the day after the flood. Now, is it God's fault that everybody's lost? No, it's not God's fault. Even during the church time. Think about this. Have you ever thought about this? Do you think it's unfair? Now, if you do, don't tell me but I, because I don't think it's unfair. But... Do you think it would be unfair for God to expect everyone in this room to win one soul every six months? You think that would be unfair? I'd say if you did it every day, it would be just about right. But if, if, every six months. Right, let's just assume for round numbers that we had 100 here this morning. And everybody thinks that's fair. Everybody thinks that's fair? One every six months. So here's what we do. In six months from now... Everyone has went and got one, so now we have 200. In one year, we have 400. In 18 months, we have 800. In two years, we have 1,600. Two and a half years, we have 3,200. Still with me? In three years, we have 6,400. Three and a half years, we have 12,800. Now, let me just tell you this. If you'll multiply that out to 18 and a half years... You got 7 billion people saved. And all we've done is won one every six months. So the fact that they're not saved, who do you suppose is the problem? Yeah, you know who the problem is. It's us. I've got people in my church that's been in our church for 20 years and never won one person. Never brought one person to church. Never seen one person get saved. That's where the problem lies. And I'm telling you that is if this, this church, if this, this church would do it for 18 and a half years, this church could win every person on the entire planet to Jesus Christ. And what happens if all the rest of us join in? 
Amen. We could get it done a whole lot faster, couldn't we? So it's not the plan that's the problem. It's not the Savior that's the problem. And it's not His fault that they're going to die and go to hell. Guess what? It's us. All right, I can see you all like that, so I'm going to move on. Let me give you the last thing. This is my favorite, personally my favorite, is found in verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Now, verse 18, and all things are of God. So here's what God promises. When somebody gets saved, all of their old things pass away, and all these old things become new things, but they're not just new things. They're new things unto God. They're not just turning over a new leaf. They're not going to AA and stop drinking. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, thank God that people stop drinking, and I'm not minimizing that. Praise God. I wish they'd do away with all the alcohol in the whole wide world. I'd be thrilled. But I'm telling you right now, if an alcoholic goes to AA and stops drinking and he never takes another drink and dies and goes to hell, he still hasn't accomplished much, has he? But here's what God promised. God promised if you would receive Christ as your Savior, all things would pass away. You'd stop being a drunk. You'd stop being an alcoholic. You'd stop being an abusive father. You'd stop being a mom that don't care. You'd stop being a sinful person and you'd start serving God. Now, I'm telling you, that ought to motivate you when you see that happen in people's lives. Preachers told me some of y'all's testimonies and where God's brought you. And you know what I said? Whoa. I love it. I have a young man in my church. And I stole the whole story because I told you he's in my church. But about 17 or 18 years ago, he was one of my deacon's kids. And he was awful. He was awful. He'd steal things from his parents. He was taking drugs. He would bring stuff into their home that ought not be in their home, and he was just awful. So mom and dad come into the preacher's office and said, what do we do with this young man? His name was Richie. So what do we do with him? I said, i tell you what you do. You change the locks on the door, throw his stuff in the yard, and run him off. Dad said, yes, I thought that's what she was going to say. Mom said, I don't know whether we can do that or not. But they did. And could I just tell you, it got a whole lot worse for a guy better. <laughs> I mean, he got so angry and so upset. He tore up a bunch of stuff around the house. But his girlfriend's parents let him move into her bedroom and move into their house. And so it just got worse and worse and worse. And so they finally decided to get married. And after they'd been married about two years, they were into drugs so heavily uh, they went to the doctor together, and one of them distracted the doctor, and the other one stole the prescription pad. And they did this in three or four different doctor's offices. So they took the prescription pads and started writing prescriptions for the prescription drugs they were strung out on. Well, let me just tell you, it may take a while, but they'll catch you. And sure enough, I don't know how long they'd done this, but at a point in, in their time, they got caught. They got arrested. And so... Uh, they went to, they went and pleaded guilty and they were waiting on their sentence. And so they got sentenced and they, uh, the guy got, to, he, he got four or five years in prison and she got seven because she's the one that signed the prescription pads. She got seven years in prison. So the judge told them, you have to show up in prison in seven days. You got seven days to get yourself in order and then you have to report to prison or we will come and get you. So in that seven days, Richie come into my office, and he got saved. 
I was so thrilled. His wife killed herself. That was so ugly. It was so ugly. So he goes to jail. He got saved, and I'm sending him literature, helping him grow. <laughs> you know, I, I have a... It's hard sometimes to believe but I, he was just growing in leaps and bounds. and He got out for good behavior. He was only in there for about 16 months, which if it was me would be a lifetime. And he wrote me a letter right before he got out, and he said, Now, preacher, I'm about to get out. They're going to let me loose. He said, What do I do? I said, You come in my office and sit me, look at me face to face, and I'll tell you what you're supposed to do. Well, he got out of prison. Uh, the day after he got out of prison, he sat in my office. <laughs> all right, here I am. What do I do? And I said, first of all, I want you to tell me, do you know Christ is your Savior? He said, well, preacher, you led me to Christ right there by that couch. I said, I didn't say that. I said, I want you to know you're saved. And he said, oh, yeah, I know I'm saved. I said, I want you to tell me how God's changed your life. He said, let me tell you how God's changed my life. I will never touch another drug. I will never do those things that I ever did again. He said, and the greatest sadness in my whole life is I don't have a chance to share this with my wife. He got me with that one. I'm kind of a softy. And so I said, okay, I'm going to find out. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that bus and I want you to fill it up with kids. Yes, sir. Man, I'm telling you, in about a month, he had a whole bus full of kids. He said, you know, I think God wants me to preach. I said, is that so? i got two nursing homes over here. We preach at every Sunday. They're now yours. You go preach at them every Sunday. So he goes over and he starts preaching at these nursing homes. I'm impressed. I'm telling you, I'm impressed. He comes over every morning, preaches, and one in the afternoon, and comes to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night, and preaches before church and after the morning service. Then one day after he'd been doing this about a year and a half, of course, I talked to him about his money. I talked to him about everything. I was trying to make him mad. But no matter what I showed him in the Bible, he said, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. About a year and a half into this, he said, I believe God's called me to preach. I want to go to Bible college. I said, you're not ready. He said, yes, sir. Waited another year. He said, come in my office. He said, preacher, I just know I'm ready. I, I want to go to Bible college. And I said, you know, I think you're ready too. I said, but we're going to call Brother Jacobs and we're going to talk to him. He's the president of, or the executive vice president of Heartland Baptist Bible College. And I said, whatever he tells you, that's what we're going to do. So I got him on the speakerphone. Brother Copes is a dear friend of mine. And I said, now, I've got this young man who needs to tell you a story. So he told him the whole story, the whole story. And didn't leave anything out. And then I said, he wants to come to Bible college. Is that allowed? And Brother Copes said, yes, he can't stay in the dorms. And you let him know he's on probation from day one. I said, well, you heard that. So you want to go? He said, yes, I want to go. So he goes to Baptist, or Heartland Baptist Bible College. He's up there about two years, and he meets this little girl. He called me, and he said, Preacher, I found the one. And he said, I started to say something. He said, Yes, I told his mom and dad the whole story. I said, Don't you even look at that girl till you tell mom and dad everything you know about yourself. And so he did. He graduated from Heartland, and now he works for me. That's what that scripture is talking about. Can I just tell you that motivates my socks off? Are you hearing me? I mean, that just motivates me to death. There's another Richie out there somewhere that needs me, me to tell him about Jesus. There's somebody else around the corner that needs Christ to turn their life around. 
I'm telling you, that's the only hope they have. You know, we run buses and we go pick up all these kids. And I'm telling you, they're rotten kids. They tear things up. They paint on the wall. They flush things down the commode. I walked into the boys' bathroom in the gym one day, and we have a divider between the urinal and the, uh, the stalls, and I had a kid right on top of it. And he was jumping off of this over to this. And I said, son, what are you doing? I don't know. He's a bus kid. I walked out in the gym in, in Texas, and they probably do here too. We have emergency lights uh, that come on. They have the kind of lights like that on them. Uh, up in the gym, uh, and if the electricity goes off, they come on. They have a little button on it. I walk out there, and there's three, or three there's four boys down there throwing basketballs, Boom! trying to make that light come on. <laughs> they beat that thing to death. But I just solved the problem. I didn't get rid of the kid. I took the stupid divider down and threw it away. He can't climb on it no more. I put up a new thing and put a cage around it so they can't hit the button anymore. <laughs> And let me tell you why. I've got a little girl. She's not a little girl anymore. But about 25 years now, probably not that much ago, probably 20 years ago, 22 years ago, we found her on a bus route. She was about this big. She'd come with her big brother. She came, and sometime during the process of coming, every time we went and picked her up on the bus, she got saved. Her mom and dad didn't want her to get saved. And so I went and talked to the mom and dad. I said, would you let us just train this young lady? I said, you had not done so hot with the rest of them. Won't you let me have this one? And I don't mean have her, have her, but train her. And he said, well, if you guys will come and pick her up, and you'll pay for her to go to camp. And I said, listen, I want her to go to my Christian school. And I said, I'll pay for it. And so I put her in the Christian school, and my wife and I sacrificed and paid the tuition. And we loved that girl. I took her everywhere we went. Every time the youth department went somewhere, she went, and I paid for it. We go to Mexico on a Mexico trip. She went with us. She went to Argentina on a Mexico trip with us, and we paid for it. We raised that girl. I love that girl. She's married one of my young men now, and they both graduated from Heartland, and they're on staff at a church in Sherman, Texas. Is it worth it? Oh, can I just tell you how worth it it is? And you know, it don't matter what happens in that little girl's life. It does not matter where she goes or what she does. I'm her dad. Now, she has a real dad. But she never calls him. She ought to because he needs Jesus himself. But you know, when she wants something, she wants somebody to love her, she wants somebody to pray with her, she calls my wife or she calls me. And we come running and we just love on her. Is it worth it? Oh, could I tell you how worth it it is? It's such an awesome thing. I'll tell you one more story and I quit. I don't even know what time I'm supposed to be through. I was out knocking on doors one time in Goshen, Indiana. And I was in a mobile home park. Now, I've noticed that y'all don't have any of those. Well, we do. And why they call them mobile homes, I don't know. They never move them anywhere. They just set them down and lock them down. I, I don't know. But I was in a mobile home park knocking on doors. And by the way, I know that in Oklahoma and Texas, God hates mobile homes. Because every time there's a tornado, that's where it heads. <laughs> anyway, I was, out, I was out knocking on doors in a mobile home park. And I knocked on this door, and this gigantic man, about this big and about this wide, hadn't had a bath in who knows when, had a big old beard, nasty, dirty clothes. He opened the door. 
And I said, listen, I'm Pastor Webster, and I just came by to tell you about Jesus. He said, stop! And he started cursing me. He said, I'm going to tell you right now. And I'm going to be nice about it because it was a lot worse than this. He said, if you ever come back to my door, I'll kill you. Except he said a whole bunch of adjectives with that. And so, you know, I've never been that brave. So I, I was taking notes, and I put his address on, and I went, no time, no how. And I left. Hey, I, there was too many other people knock on their doors. I wasn't going to die over this guy. And so while I'm pulling out the door, walking out the driveway, going back around to knock on another door, his wife pulls in. And she said to me, who are you? And I'm trying to get away from her. I thought anybody married that cuckoo man. I didn't want anything to do with her either. And so I'm walking away and I'm answering. She said, who are you? I said, I'm pastor of the Goshen Baptist Temple. He said, she said, where's your church at? And I'm trying to get away from her. And I told her where it was. And she said, when does it start? And I told her, by now I'm a block away. I'm trying to get away from these people. Sunday morning, she showed up. We had six adults saved that morning, and she was one of them. And so she told me that way on the, on the way out. I said, now, you need to get baptized tonight. She said, I'll be here. I'm going to bring my husband. And all I could think was, oh, Lord, please don't let her bring that guy. We had just started the church. We had metal chairs. I figured he'd take the chair and beat me to death with it. I had no idea what this guy was going to do. And that Sunday night when she showed up, he wasn't there, and I was so excited. I was glad that he was not there. I baptized his wife, standing at the door, shaking hands. When she come by, she grabbed me by the hand and, let me see your hand. She just stood there and she wouldn't turn it loose. And I'm trying to get away and she won't turn me loose. And my wife's standing there and she said, would you come to my house tomorrow night and talk to my husband? And I'm going to tell you this. Now, I'm not, I'm not sounding very brave here, but I really wasn't. I just about to say no way, no how, no time. When my lovely wife, standing right here, says to me, she knows what I'm about to say. I told her the whole story. She knew what happened. And just about the time I'm about to say, no, I won't come see your husband, she said, and I quote, where is the spirit of Elijah? And I looked at her like, you're trying to get me killed. You know I have no life insurance. And so I told her, I said, okay, I'll be there at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. And then all the way home, I said, honey, why'd you do that? Why did you do She said, you know, we got to go. I know, but why did you do that? And so I told her, I said, listen, if I'm going, you're going with me. At least you can call an ambulance after he beats me after that. And I went out there with fear and trembling. I can't even, I, I know this is funny, and it is funny now, but it wasn't funny at the time. I go out and I knock on the door like this. I started to walk away. Oh, he's not here. Goody, goody. Just about that time, the door opened. And I mean, he yanked it open. And there he is, standing at me, looking at me, down at me. So I didn't know what to say. I remembered what he told me. And he looked at me. He said, I've been waiting all day for you to come. Would you please come in and tell me how to go to heaven? Said, yes. So I went in. I led this man to Christ. And you know, when that happens, you get brave. <laughs> so now I'm brave I told him I'm sitting there on the couch looking at him after he got saved I'm looking at him and said now if you really and this is exactly how I told him if you really meant that you'll be at church on Sunday my wife's looking at me like oh, you said you really act like you're tough now <laughs> well Sunday he came in a suit 
with a haircut, clean shaven. Had he not been with his wife, I would not have recognized him. I baptized him that day. And I'm telling you, before I left, he became one of my deacons. And my bodyguard, by the way. I took him everywhere I went. Every time I see somebody like that, I think of that story. You know, there might be another person just like that standing right there. Doesn't that motivate you a little? Doesn't it make you want to go get somebody? Instead of being judgmental towards that next person you see and laying in the, in the gutter, that might just be the person Jesus would save, and he might be the next preacher. What motivates you? I'm telling you, folks, this is how we are accepted by God, whether we're in the body or in his presence, by getting our heart and our mind on eternal things and off of the things of this world. There's so many people out there that need you. You. Oh, they need the preacher to preach to them. And if you can't win them, you get them to church, he'll preach to them. But I'm telling you, they need you. They need you. And we need to be motivated to keep on keeping on no matter what. No matter what. I want you to bow your heads with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Oh, listen, folks, do you really love the Lord tonight? I mean, do you love Him unconditionally? Do you love Him with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your will and everything that you are, you just love God? I'm telling you tonight, if you just love God, then you could get the rest of this motivation in the right spot and you realize that one of these days you're going to give an account for what you do in this body, whether it be profitable or unprofitable. One of these days that the very people that are around you are going to stand before God and it might be determined that they cannot go to heaven because you were not motivated to do what God told them to do. And all oh, I'm telling you, every time God lets you win somebody and God changes their life, and changes their family, and changes everything about them. You just say, wow, I want to go find somebody else just like that. Heavenly Father, we just come to you tonight to tell you we love you. And I pray that every person in this room tonight would say, I love you, Lord. I love you. And because I love you, I want to serve you. And because I know that one of these days I'm going to answer to you, and this love is going to be displayed I know Lord there's people out there that because I love you you'll bring them across my path and I can help them not go to hell and oh Lord you change their lives and it's such a wonderful thing I pray tonight God would you speak to our hearts would you lay this in our hearts tonight that whether we be on the earth or whether we be in your presence, we would be accepted of you. We love you tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? And we're going to have an invitation time. And let me just ask you this. Do you really love the Lord?